It's Monday, July 30th, 2018. I'm Herbie Newell, and this is the Defender Podcast, a daily encouragement to mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This daily podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm coming to you from Cartagena, Colombia. Well, this is our weekly Monday Bible study and call to prayer. Today, we are continuing our study on the book Basic Christianity by John Stott, and we'll be looking specifically at chapter three entitled The Character of Christ. Well, chapter three asserts the character of Jesus as the perfect, holy, and spotless Son of God. Page 51, Stott actually quotes James Denny when he says, This separateness from sinners is not a little, but a stupendous thing. It is the presupposition of redemption. It is that virtue in Christ without which he would not be qualified to be savior, but would like us need to be saved. Hear it, beloved. If Christ be not sinless, then we are not forgiven. If Jesus sinned, then we have no once and for all sacrifice for our sins and we are destined for hell. It, it reminds us of the Passover and, and, and what the word of God says in Exodus 12, 1 through 3. Let's, let's read those words. It says in Exodus 12, 1 through 3, verse 1, The Lord Yahweh said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of the month that every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb, listen to this, shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it in the 14th day of the month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they shall eat it. Then they shall eat flesh that night, roasted on fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs that shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or are boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains in the morning, you shall burn. In this matter, you shall eat it with your belt fastened and your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord Yahweh's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord Yahweh. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Oh, beloved, the Passover was a foreshadowing of the great redemption plan of God, and, and, and it required a, a spotless, unblemished lamb, and it foreshadowed that Jesus, the Messiah, must be that unblemished once and for all lamb. I love the way that Sally Lloyd-Jones ends her chapter on the Passover in the Jesus Storybook Bible. She says, God's people would always remember this great rescue and call it Passover. But an even greater rescue was coming. Many years later, God was going to do it again. He was going to come down once more and rescue his people. But this time, God was going to set them free forever and ever. Oh, beloved, Jesus had to be sinless in order to be our Passover lamb. 
But then we read along and following along in the New Testament in the chapter in, in the book of Leviticus, chapter 14, verses 10 through 20. And it says this on the eighth day, he, the priest, shall take two male lambs without blemish and one ewe lamb, a year old without blemish and a grain offering of three tenths of an ephah, a fine flour mixed with oil, one log of oil. And the priest who cleanses him shall set the man who is to be cleansed and these things before the Lord Yahweh at the entrance of the tent of the meeting. And the priest shall take one of the male lambs and offer it as a guilt offering along with a log of oil and wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. And he shall kill the lamb in the place where they kill the sin offering and the burnt offering and the place of the sanctuary for the guilt offering like the sin offering belongs to the priest. It is most holy. The priest shall take some of the blood of the guilt offering and the priest shall put it on the lobe of the right ear of him is to be cleansed on the thumb of his right hand on his big toe of his right foot. Then the priest shall take a log of oil and pour it on the palm of his left hand and dip his right finger in the oil in his left hand and sprinkle some with his finger seven times before the Lord Yahweh and some of the Lord oil that remains in his hands the priest shall put on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed and the thumb of his right hand and the big toe of his right foot on the top of the blood of the guilt offering and the rest of the oil that is the priest's hands he shall put on the head of him who is to be cleansed. Then the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord Yahweh. The priest shall offer the sin offering to make atonement for him who is being cleansed from his uncleanliness and afterwards he shall kill the burnt offering and the priest shall offer the burnt offering and the grain offering on the altar thus the priest shall make atonement for him and he shall be clean Leviticus is full of this and other examples of unblemished and spotless lambs bulls goats and other animals sacrificing their lives for the sake of people's sins God demanded perfection and he could not gaze upon the sin of his people and so he demanded a substitute Oh, but Jesus, the Messiah, would be the once and for all substitute. And Jesus had to be sinless in order to be our substitute. But we see other cases for Jesus' sinlessness. Isaiah 53, 1 through 12. We know this uh, as a foreshadowing of the Messiah to come. Isaiah was a, a prophet who prophesied to people who would not listen. But then right in the midst of all this prophecy, we see these beautiful foretellings of the coming of the Messiah. And Isaiah 53 is one of those when it says, Who has believed what he's heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by man. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and as one with whom men hide them faces he was despised and we esteemed him not surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by God and afflicted but he was pierced for our transgression he was crushed for our iniquities upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed all we like sheep have gone astray we have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord Yahweh has laid on him the iniquity of us all he was oppressed and he was afflicted yet he did not know Open his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of Yahweh to crush him. He was put to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. I have the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge shall the righteous one my servant make many to be accounted righteous 
and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Oh, Isaiah prophesied to a people who did not listen and harden their hearts. What a calling to know that you're being called by the Lord for his work, but you will never see even a bud of fruit. Yet the Lord uses Isaiah to speak so many messianic prophecies. And here we see that the Messiah would be perfect, sinless, and unblemished Lamb of God. You see, beloved, Jesus had to be sinless in order to be our Messiah. And then we see in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, starting in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23 through 28, when the writer of Hebrews and a great apologetic uh, to the Jewish people says this, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing it often. But he, the Messiah, holds his priesthood permanently because he, Jesus, continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make an intercession for them. For it is indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy and innocent, listen to this, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once and for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men and their weaknesses high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. As the author of Hebrews writes to the Jewish audience as an apologetic for this authenticity of Christ as the Messiah, we see clearly that Jesus was sinless, holy, and perfect, which inures great benefit to us because he, we, have a high priest, a great high priest who sacrifices for our sins once and for all. Oh, the writer of Hebrews says this. He says, for since the law in Hebrews chapter 10 was a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of realities, it can never be but the same sacrifices that are continued to offer year after year. Otherwise, they would not cease to be offered since the worshipers having once been cleansed would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. You see, Jesus comes, does away with the first in order to establish the second. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10 says, and by that, we have all been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And every high priest stand daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For a single offering, he has perfected for all times those who are being sanctified. You can take it to the bank. Jesus was perfect, holy, and sinless. This is such an important Christian doctrine because if Jesus wasn't perfect, then he was only man and not God incarnate. Our hope and salvation fail the moment we compromise this truth. God is good and perfect and care not bear sin or its reproach. Oh, this also informs the way we do gospel-driven justice. We serve the stranger, the outcast, and the fatherless because we too were strangers, outcasts, and fatherless. Yet we were purchased and bought by Christ. 
and the perfect, sinless life of Christ. And so we glorify him and we serve him. Uh, Last week, we went to a special needs orphanage and my sweet little girl, Adeline, was crying and weeping uh, and praying over these children. And, and, and as we asked her, you know, what, what the hardest thing was, she said it was so hard seeing these, these adults and these children who had just such debilitating special needs. And she said, Daddy, all I knew to do was to pray for them. You see, my little girl had hope for these special needs individuals, and we have hope for those who are hurting and inflicted because Jesus Christ's perfect redemption gives us unwavering hope. And so John Stott in chapter three gives four evidences of the sinlessness of Jesus. The first is what Christ himself taught. Christ's teachings are replete uh, with his teaching on his sinful, sinlessness. One such place is Matthew chapter three, starting in verse 13. It says, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. Why do you come to me? But Jesus answered, let it be so now for thus is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented and Jesus was baptized and immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus was God's son and he taught that he was God's son. Therefore, he was perfect and holy. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. Jesus came to fulfill his righteousness, to fulfill his sinlessness. Jesus taught that he was of God, from God, and was the holy God incarnate. So Jesus' teaching shows us that he was sinless. But what the second thing we see that Stott writes is what Christ's friends said. Peter and James and John were, were the three that hung around Jesus the, the most likely. They were the ones who knew him. They were his closest inner circle. I mean, these were the guys that spent the nights with him, that shared rooms with him, right? And here's what Peter says in, in his book, in 1 Peter chapter 1, 18 through 19. He says this, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without what? Blemish or spot. Then Peter goes on in 1 Peter in chapter two, verse 21 through 22, when he says this, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Listen to what Peter says. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. So Peter, the, the, the bold, brash Peter, hung around Christ who denied him three times. He writes later, he had no sin. He was sinless. But John also says the same thing. The one whom Jesus loved, First John Three, four through five. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practice lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he, Jesus, appeared in order to take away sins, and in him, Jesus, there was no sin. So Jesus' running buddies, the closest inner circle of Jesus, knew him as sinless. But the third offering that Stott gives in the chapter is what Christ's enemies conceded. John Stott says this, he says, time after time, his court appearances made it clear that Jesus was blameless. The Roman governor, governor Pontius Pilate, after several cowardly attempts to evade the issue, publicly washed his hands and declared himself innocent of this man's blood. King Herod could find no fault in him either. Judas, the traitor filled with remorse, returned the 30 pieces of silver to the priest with the words, I have sinned for I have betrayed innocent blood. The penitent thief on the cross rebuked his fellow criminal for having a go at Jesus and added, this man 
man has done nothing wrong. Finally, the centurion, having watched Jesus suffer and die, exclaimed, surely this was a righteous man. So we know that Jesus was sinless because of what his enemies conceded. But fourth and last, we know that Jesus was sinless because what we can see for ourselves. John Stott says this, he says, such a man is altogether beyond our reach. He succeeded where we always fail. He had complete self-mastery. He never retaliated. He never grew resentful or irritable. He had such control of himself that whatever others might think or say or do, he would deny himself and abandon himself to the will of God and to the welfare of his fellow human beings. I seek not to please myself, he said, and I'm not seeking my glory for myself. As Paul wrote, for Christ did not please himself. This utter disregard of self in the service of God and man is what the Bible calls love. There's no self-interest in love. The essence of love is self-sacrifice. Even the worst of us is ordained by an occasional flash of such nobility. But the life of Jesus irradiated with a never-fading never fading, incandescent glow. Jesus was sinless because he was selfless. Such selflessness is love and God is love. Beloved, it is this selflessness of our master and his utter disregard of self-service that calls us daily to take up our cross and follow him. It is the perfect love that drives us to care for the orphan, the fatherless, the vulnerable family, and vulnerable children. It is the holiness of Jesus that fuels the gospel, which fuels our mission to manifest this beautiful gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. Well, this week, We are praying for the country of Uganda. We are praying specifically for the government of Uganda, for God to reveal himself to the judges, probation office panel, and those who make decisions regarding orphan care. We're praying for the church in Uganda, for God to strengthen Ugandan families and to grow their desire to care for orphans. We're praying for sound doctrine and for the church to thrive. We're praying for pastors that are in and around Busega, Uganda, specifically where we work strategically with Pastor Raphael. Uh, They are having a pastor's training this month and we are praying that they will uh, be filled with the word of God and encouraged and, and go home ready to continue preaching the sound gospel. We're praying specifically for King Jesus Church and for her pastor, Pastor Raphael, as he leads their church. We're praying for our orphanage partnerships and Loving Hearts Babies Homes. We're praying for God's providence and protection in the homes uh, such as Loving Hearts Baby Home. Praying specifically for the directors there, the nannies and the children, Miriam, the director, Gerald, the social worker, Matthew and Jethro. We're praying for birth families, that poverty or special needs would not be a reason that they would abandon their children. We're praying for Isaac, our attorney in Uganda. We're praying for his health and spiritual well-being, for discernment and stamina. We're praying for uh, families that are uh, missional families living in Uganda that are working through adoption. And we're praying for them as they go through the process. We're praying for Pastor Raphael and his wife, Alan, for protection, for rest, for good family time as they minister to their community. We're praying for the children at Busega Community School for the Deaf and the Blind and for the Life Skills School. We're, We're asking the Lord that the students, the staff, and the teachers would continue to grow in him. Praying for financial provision for our project, specifically the land purchased for King Jesus Church and for the school. And we're praising God for how he is bringing more and more students to Busega Community School for the Deaf and the Blind and the Life Skills School. We're praising him that we have such great and awesome teachers that are able to teach them, not only in uh, education, but also in the word of God. Let's pray. 
Lord, we pray for the country of Uganda. We certainly pray for the government, uh, that that government would be upheld by your mighty hand. We pray for the church in Uganda, that the church would, would have sound doctrine and teach sound doctrine and be committed to sound doctrine. We're praying specifically for Pastor Raphael and Alan as they lead their family, as they lead King Jesus Church, and they lead the Busega School for the Deaf and the Blind. Lord, be uh, uh, present in everything that they do. And Lord, may your gospel go forth in Busega, a Muslim community, for your glory, for your namesake, and for your honor. And it's in your name we pray, in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. For more information or connect with me, please visit HerbieNewell.com. To partner with Lifeline, visit LifelineChild.org. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at LifelineChild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again tomorrow for the Defender Podcast.